Once again, welcome to Faith Reformed Baptist Church. Before I begin, I would like to ask the Lord's assistance uh, for the speaker and for the hearers. Let's go to the Lord. Holy Father, we come in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we approach you asking that you would guard our hearts, keep us from wandering away. May our ears be opened, and we ask you to open to us the things of Christ. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would have our hearts receptive. We ask that Christ be seen clearly by us. Help us to truly understand and embrace the gospel. We pray, Lord, that the things that we look at tonight, that we would humble ourselves and not think ourselves too highly of, of the things that we do not know about. But we ask, Lord, that you would give us an insight into your grace, into our God. We ask, Lord, that you would provide for us what is in this book. We pray this in our Lord's name. Amen. Amen. I would like to ask you to, to take note that I asked the Lord to give to us what is in the book. Uh, to ask for extra biblical revelation, I believe, is asking amiss. Yes. We need to ask the Lord for what's in the book. Mm -hmm. This morning we left off in the book of Revelation chapter 4, and we were discussing verse 6 with some of the observations there. And I would like to read uh, the verse before it, and then we'll get into where we left off. We were talking about how the door was open to heaven, and how Christ told John the Apostle, putting him into the Spirit of the Holy Spirit, and said to come up, and he saw the throne of God. Verse 5 of chapter 4. From the throne came flashes of lightning, and rumbling and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are seven living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. Now we mentioned this morning some words about the sea of glass. And I have to tell you that those were my ideas. Those are also some ideas of the people I read. I have respect for commentators, I respect for uh, men of the past, but for the most part, this is an image that has truth in it, but I cannot tell you exactly what it means. But I do know this, that the Lord has given us truth, and I'm wanting, I'm wanting the Holy Spirit to give us a clear understanding of this. It is of my opinion that this serene glass of this sea of glass may be a number of things but I do know this that it is peaceful that it is calm and I know that the Spirit of God creates peace within us and so these images need to be interpreted uh, I, I just ask the Lord to be with us all there are some that are more gifted in this like John Bunyan what a gifted man to understand the images that are in the scriptures Spurgeon we have uh, Jonathan Edwards, very insightful. But for us, we'll ask the Lord to help us. I want to talk tonight about the last half of this verse and to the end of that chapter. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Now, these creatures appear to be the same type of creatures 
that were witnessed by Isaiah in chapter 6 and by Ezekiel in chapters 1, 10, and 11. And there are names given to them, cherubim, but also in Isaiah they were called seraphim. I can't tell you what the differences are. I don't think there's enough information for us to know the differences, but they seem to be similar. But in our experience of what the scripture tells us about heavenly beings, we are completely dependent upon what the Bible tells us. And many times, God will send an angel, and they'll be mistaken for men. Angels came to Abraham. They went to, uh, to, to Lot, and they were mistaken for men. Angels were at the tomb of Christ. They were mistaken for the gardener. There were times in which we were given a glimpse into how many there are. The Lord himself said, do you not know that I could ask for legions of angels? They would come. Even the book of Revelation tells us there are myriads of them, thousands upon thousands of them. And yet this particular creature that we're looking at now, I would assume is a very powerful, powerful creature. If you recall in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, I'd like to read this to you. That the Lord, that is, he, he put the Garden of Eden where man sinned. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Now, I don't know how powerful this creature is, but I do know this. The sons of Adam were forbidden to go to the tree of life. It took one. One to keep the entire human race away from the tree of life. Above the Ark of the Covenant, Moses was told to put a, uh, a golden image of cherubims above them. They were to face each other. They were to be at the very one end of the Ark of the Covenant. At the other end, their wings would cover their faces. Their faces would face each other. And then the Lord would speak to Moses in the middle, out of the middle of those cherubims. Now, I don't know what they look like, but the descriptions are very telling. Uh, what the description we have here is amazing. Uh, I'd like to continue on with what we know about other people, such as Isaiah. Now, Isaiah, when he was having the vision in Isaiah chapter 6, the temple was filled with smoke, and when he saw the throne of God, he immediately said, I'm an unclean man, I have unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips. And one of these creatures went to the altar and with tongs took an, a coal from it and took to Isaiah and touched his lips with the coal from the altar and said, you have been cleansed and your sins have been atoned for. Now that's a loose translation from the ESV. But it is an amazing thing that this creature, when Isaiah looked at God, that he would address a sinful condition on man. Because the first thing that entered into the heart of Isaiah is that God is holy. And yet that creature there said, you are to speak with God and I'm going to address the fact of your sin. There seems to be a very close connection between the holiness of God and the duties of these creatures. They are protecting, or shall we say, there for the reason of God's holiness. 
their very statements and singing of songs before God begins with holy, holy, holy. Now these cherubims have appeared not only in the Garden of Eden and not only to Isaiah, uh, but they're also given to Moses in much of the decorations, not decoration, that's a bad word, in much of the instructions in building uh, the tabernacle and in the temple, especially in the temple. Solomon uh, put many of these cherubims in the carvings and in the tapestries. But even on the outside of the tabernacle of the holy place, uh, the cherubims were embroidered into the tapestry uh, and, and they were seen in many, many places. And they are in gold above the ark. Now I can only imagine that these were shadows and types and that these creatures are something to behold. But it seems they look a little bit different every time we get a glimpse of them. The ones described by Ezekiel are different than the ones described by Isaiah. Let me read the descriptions uh, concerning the, uh, the ones concerning that Moses were to carve for the Ark of the Covenant. In uh, Exodus chapter 25, we read this. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat, and their wings, their faces one to another, toward the mercy seat, uh, shall their faces of the cherubim be. There, uh, there I will meet you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in the commandment for the people of Israel. And we even have a place in Numbers where that actually happened. And when Moses went into the tent of the meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the Ark of the Covenant from between the two cherubim. And it spoke to him, the voice. Now these, these creatures are appeared very interestingly to Ezekiel where they seem to represent the glory of God. And when the people of, of Israel were carried away by Babylon, they were all taken away. Many of the things of the tabernacle, I mean of the temple, were taken there also. But Ezekiel saw an image, and it seemed like the very holy place of God, with these cherubims, with wheels within wheels, and, and these creatures on all sides, carried this over toward Babylon. It was as though the glory of the Lord had been carried away, and God moved there with these creatures. I can only say that we have to think about that. We have to marvel at the fact that God has placed these creatures with, with great responsibility and great power. I'd like to read the description in verse 7 of these creatures. It says, The first living creature, like a lion... Oh, let me read the... Um, okay. Yeah, this is the first living creature, like a lion. The second, like a living... A creature like an ox, and the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And so we see that every one of these creatures had a different face. Sometimes this creature had all four faces on one creature. And sometimes, in this case, we see where everyone had a different face. Now, I don't know what that means other than when God wants us to see them, and we can say, what would it be like if this powerful, powerful being with the face of a lion, what would you think? 
uh, what would be the feeling that we'd have. Would we say to ourselves, this is a very brave creature? Or would we say this is a, a kingly creature? Or would we say this is a fierce creature, a very powerful creature? Whatever the image is, I'm sure that whatever is the most dignified, whatever is the most honorable and glorifying, and the idea of their, their task to be accomplished is effectively communicated by the fact that it has a face of a lion. Now an ox, you may say, well, I'm not too sure how, how majestic an ox is. But when you think of, when I think of, a, of an ox, I think of something with, that is extremely powerful. I don't know if I could ever control an ox, but an ox, where they're used to, to plow up the ground, the hardest ground an ox can, can plow it up. And what's more, what's more difficult than to plow up the ground of a human heart? And uh, these are fierce, these are not fierce, but these are very powerful beasts that are faithful servants. And they use their power for their master. The face of a man. We are the bearers of God's image. We are intelligent. I'm using that term loosely because, look, all of us, we're only intelligent as God gives us gifts. And it's like I tell the, uh, my, my comrades at work, everybody here is confused. It's just that some of us are confused at a higher level. But these people, these, this creature having the face of a man, we know that he has the heart, he has the emotions, he has intelligence. And like our Christ, uh, there is a, there is not a liaison position, but they know that they can communicate with us. The face of an eagle in flight. Now, I don't even know what a face of an eagle in flight looks like. I guess an eagle at rest would look differently. But if I can imagine a face of an eagle in flight, it has to do with what the eagle can see. The ability to to reign over or to have the control of and to have everything under its sight, to see the smallest things. Uh, I just had an experience about two weeks ago where looking out my front window, I saw a red hawk on our neighbor's fence and um, I wanted to get a closer look. And uh, lo and behold, this hawk flew right toward the house into one of the trees right in my front yard. And before I knew it, that hawk went right to the flower bed in the front of my window, right close, caught a mouse. You know, thank you. I'm, I'm glad he did that. But the idea that he could see that from my neighbor's fence is like, I can't even see them when I'm almost stepping on them. And yet this bird saw it from that distance. When we think of a creature that's, that God is saying, consider this creature who stands before my throne and they are powerful. One can keep away the human race from the tree of life. And I would imagine that one can do any type of damage it wanted to do. But for the most part, these creatures are told to us in the scriptures that they are ministering spirits. They have not fallen into sin, and yet we have. They can appreciate the greatness of God, the holiness of God, the beauty of God. But they can't understand the forgiveness of sin. Now they may... They may, they may understand the very fact of it, and it would be a great thing to behold. But there are very few that can experience it. You know, 
When our forefather, Adam, when he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's one thing to, to say, oh, it, it, it's good to be wise, it's good to know. But is it good to actually experience evil, to know it that way? The only way he could experience it is through the disobedience of the direct word of God. And here we are, creatures, fallen in sin, and this vision is showing us that there are 24 <coughs> elders, and they have, they have shouted to the throne, He is holy, holy, He has redeemed us by the blood of our Christ. They know something that the angels do not know. Even the angels desire to look into the deep mysteries of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go to verse number number 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they say, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. It's very difficult for us to envision a creature full of eyes, is it not? Reminds us of a science fiction story or or the imagination, who knows what it might be. But what John saw can only be described in that vision. I can only say that these creatures are able to see everything they need to see. They're full of eyes. What kind of eyes? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that God provided to these creatures all that was necessary to accomplish their task. It says that their eyes were around and within. Now some commentators seem to say, well, it's difficult to imagine an eye within someone. What can it see? But some have said, well, perhaps their wings, when they were unfolded, the eyes were on both sides of their wings, and if they folded their wings, they may have eyes on the inside. I don't know. I wouldn't know. I don't know how anyone could know. But I do know this, if God revealed the vision that says these are powerful, powerful creatures, one could probably devastate the earth, and yet they are full of eyes. God has given them the power to see what they need to see. And what is their task? Who do you think? Are they trying to give God power? No, they received all that they have from God. I would imagine that these creatures are tasked to deal the way the writer of Hebrews says, to be ministering spirits. And what are their tasks? Sinful man shall not approach God. That's one of them. But what about the one who is redeemed? I would imagine they are authorized to say, with us, fall down and worship the one on the throne. They see and understand. They know. They, are, they have seen all that there is to see about the human race, about each individual that they have been tasked to look. And they see, I think, they, I, I believe that they have sufficient understanding of who we are on the inside and on the outside. When it comes to understanding what these creatures are, my question to you is this. Does it matter that we understand all the details, that we have some type of hidden knowledge that no one would have? All I can do is say that I am mind-boggled that God's creatures of this caliber and of this stature and of this power is in the throne of God 
is before God, and, he, and these creatures do his will explicitly. So, with that, they are also described that they are serving God day and night in this setting. Now, what I find interesting is that day and night is not a, a measure of time that we find in the new heaven and in the new earth. But we do have day and night at this time in the great in this creation. When God created the heavens and the earth, He created day and He created night. There is a time interval. There is a time where there is a greater light to rule the day. There is a time when a lesser light to rule the, the night. There will be times when we read in the book of Revelation where the sun is going to beat down on men or when the moon turns to blood. And this could be, well, what times are they? I don't know. I'm not the great interpreter of this. But I do know this, that if they cease never to stop ceasing to praise God and say, holy, 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 both day and night, I would say that their task is to serve God during this created time and serve as ministering spirits for us. And that they are working among us. That they are in the presence of God and that they are doing His will at this time. This implies that these creatures will endure in this world. Many of them will have duties in this life among us. I would say that there is enough of them to serve appropriately all that God needs. And I would say, how many are there? Well, there's four around the throne of God. But I would say, who knows how many? Christ said that he could call legions. And we do know that there is a spiritual warfare and that angels have been sent to give messages to Daniel and they have been delayed by other evil beings. I can say that there is a genuine spiritual warfare. What it looks like, I can't describe that much to you. But I do know this. God is for us. There is no evil thing devised against us that can actually take our souls away. They may take everything else, but that's all right. That is all right. We read in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 9, verse 5, above it, and this is a description of the, of the uh, Ark of the Covenant, above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat, and of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So who am I to add to that? I cannot. Let me give you some advice. Do not think that you can figure out things that God has not told us about. If we read in the scriptures, this is not for you to know. Don't think in the back of your head, well, maybe not for them to know, but I'm quite the clever guy, and I think I can figure it out. I'm telling you, if anybody can say, if anybody can say, you can't figure that out. If God says it, you cannot figure it out. <coughs> in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, we do read this. And to which of the angels said he have ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is in comparison to having Christ being exalted above them. And Hebrews 1, chapter 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So, they are given words, and some believe a song. Uh, what is being said by them is this, Holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, they are described as never ceasing to do this. I, I, do incline, I am inclined to believe that they sang this. I believe when creatures are able to view God, there's something unique about the human heart that singing is quite the gift and quite the creation. It is, um, it's a little bit like musical instruments. I didn't know that just the sound of a violin can make you cry, but it can. I didn't know that the sound of a trumpet can actually stir you up to, to, to stand up and shout. And all these things, they're, they're sounds that touch the human heart. And I believe that these songs and these words were sung from the heart, from, the, from voices of angelic beings, and from God's people. It says that they were doing this with never, they're never ceasing. Now, I want you to, to understand this. This does not mean that they were doing it continuously. But I'm not saying that they weren't doing it continuously, but there is a difference. To do it continuously means it's, it's like we're going into a loop. They never, it just keeps going and going and going. But never ceasing means this. They may take a break. They may take a day off, but they'll never stop doing it. They're going to come back and do it again. They never stop. It's just like the worship of God. We are told in the scriptures that God desires to be worshipped. And we have been shown in the Old Testament that there is a shadow that guides us, that God wants us to, to worship him periodically. And this is once a week. We should do this. We should meet together and obey God in, in, in meeting together. And we should never cease doing that. We should do this without ceasing. We should never stop. Never forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So you see the difference between continuous and without ceasing. And so they do this without ceasing. There'll never come a time in these creatures' existence that they will, that they will say, you know, I'm done doing this. I've done this enough. That's the last time. They'll never say that. They do it without ceasing. The words are very revealing. Holy, holy, holy. Isn't it enough just to say holy? But we have a triune God, do we not? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And this is what they say. Holy, holy, holy. Now, sometimes holiness does not impress people. You know, sometimes when you watch a TV show and they're giving away money, people are in the audience and they're saying, Big money, big money, big money. There you go. That's what they chant. People look at others and say, Now oh, there's a powerful person. Look at that. Power, power. But I'm telling you, even though God is the Almighty, He is called the Almighty God, the first thing that comes out of their mouths, Holy, Holy, Holy. He is the Lord God Almighty, but He is Holy. And this is the foundation of true worship. The fact that there are God's creatures, they have been tasked to be in the, uh, in the very forefront, and there will be no unrighteousness in His presence. There will be no sin in His presence. And I'm going to give you a clue as to what we're going to get into in continuing in this vision, that there was one between the cherubim and between the seat of the throne of God. And you know who was there? Jesus Christ. He was worthy to be there. 
Because in the singing of this song, we're going to see that the worship of God with the foundational ideas of holiness, that He is the Almighty and that He is the beginning and the end. He was, He is, and He is to come. Foundational ideas and truths about God that we need. The next chorus that comes up will be worthy. Worthy. He is worthy of these things. Because this goes into chapter 5. And we'll see where that comes to play. God is holy. God is almighty. God is eternal. This is what we need to know about God. We need to increase our understanding. We need to have doctrine that can, that can, that can lead us and help us to rest upon the power of God. Daniel, in his, in his um, visions, he came away with this. But the people that do know their God, okay? The people that understand that He is almighty, that He, well, He's holy, almighty, and that He has always been. These are the people that know their God, He says, but the people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. That is what we need. We need to know how to worship God, and to do that, we need the Scripture. We need to understand who He is. Only God can tell us who He is. And this vision gives us a very good insight. Blessed is he that reads it, and blessed are those that hear it. Our God should be learned. We need to know who he is. And this is verse number 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Notice how he cannot just say one. He must say it all. John must say all of this as he mentions it. Whenever the living creatures do this, and he gives glory and honor and gives thanks to the one who is seated. The 24 elders fall down with him who are seated on the throne. And they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before him. Now, when I think of that, I think of the fact that Christ has promised us crowns. And Christ always keeps his promise. He will give crowns to those who overcome, to those endure unto the end. That's why this vision goes on and on. This vision begins at the time of Christ and ends when Christ comes back. His worship continues all the time. With this, the final statement of worship is given. We read this. Worthy are you. Do you see the difference now? Before we read Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Now this is not just a statement against evolution. This is not just a statement that says, you know, God is a great God. But by the way, he created all things, and we need to make sure we remember that. I believe that this is a very important idea when it comes to worshiping God. We need to understand that everything, everything is from the hand of God. And it is, a, it, is, it is very important that when we read that God created all things and it's repeated over and over again for our sakes, that he was and is and is to come and all things that were created were created by him. And he says it's very, very good. We need to have our hearts upon that foundation that can rest and that can know that there is no accident and that there is nothing that's going to happen to us that God did not bring specifically into your life.
it may, it may be painful. It may hurt. It may lead to your death. It may appear as though all things fall apart. And you know what I thought of the first time when I read through this? I thought of Job. I thought of Job. And God says to Satan, Have you considered my servant? This man was rich. He owned lots of cattle. He had children. He was wonderful. But Job did this one thing. He said, I have offered a sacrifice to God that perhaps even my children, they may have cursed God in their heart. And Satan comes in and says, You know, you, you, you put a hedge about them. You take that hedge away, they will curse you to your face. When I think of the human race, I think we are Job. I truly do. I think we are Job. And God has said, I will remove that hedge, but everything that has happened will bring us to the point that Job came to. We will learn who God is. We will, be learn, we will learn to humble ourselves before God, and we in the end shall be greater than at the beginning. For some reason, us living through this life will be a greater blessing than if we didn't. The struggles that we have, the pain that we have, the, the, the heartache that we have, the, 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 the diseases we are, are going to carry, the, the way that we are going to diminish and, and, and just blow away into dust, God will call us back to dust. And I believe that all these things must be, must be grounded in our firm belief and understanding that God created all things. We cannot leave that. We cannot give that up. If someone says to you, God, God may have created the building blocks, but they all kind of, you know, theistic revolution. I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a minute. God created everything just as it was. And he made it for a reason. He made it for a reason. His plan was perfect. Do not let people rob you of one of the greatest means of grace for you to rest your soul upon God. He created all things. Do not let the world rob that from you. Do not let them take that. That is an important doctrine. It is important. We see that the living creatures repeated this. They led in worship. They sang to God. And this is what we must do. All things were created by God. I would like to go over very simply two very simple applications, which you will recognize, which we have mentioned already. But in verses 1 through 4, you'll see that these verses in chapter 4 show us the throne of God. Verses 5 through 11 show us the worship before God. Those two different things. In the first four verses, we must remember the very big picture here. When John was called up and he saw these things, he saw the throne of God in the center of everything. He saw the throne of God. Nothing is as important as God on his throne. We must remember that. All the creatures that he saw, all the things that are there, all the events that are around him, they're all dwarfed in the presence of God and that fact that he is on his throne. We must always see that as the foremost. The sovereignty of God is a foundation that should never be broken for you. This is one of the pillars of the faith. God is God. God is not fighting and struggling. He isn't. He never breaks a sweat. He never is winded. We must keep our eyes 
on that. Verses 5 through 11, we see that there is worship being conducted. Eight, and, and, and verse number 8, we read, Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And these things are, are sang to God. What a wonderful illustration and teaching technique that God has given to us, that we should praise God. We should have our hearts thrown down before the throne of God and praise Him. And may we be as calm in our hearts in the day of misery as the lake that is set before Him is calm. Now, this vision is the second apocalyptic vision, and it's taking us to the very throne of God, and we need to see that this is preparing us for the next chapter, chapter 5, in which Christ is going to be there to take the scroll from the one who sits on the throne. I'm going to read the first, five, uh, first four verses of chapter 5, and then I'm going to ask you a question, and then we'll be done. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, we read this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the seal and to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look upon it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Now I want you to think about these words for a few minutes. For some reason, the Apostle John saw the events. He saw this scroll in the hand of the one who sits on the throne. And a great angel made a proclamation. The question was, who is worthy? Now, no one could answer. No one could be found. And for some reason, the Apostle Paul started to cry fervently, vehemently. I suggest this. The Apostle John could see in this vision that if this scroll was not opened, then all of mankind would be undone. It doesn't say that, does it? The words are not there. Even the vision would say, how do you see it? I see it because the Apostle John cried as though all of our souls would be lost if no one could open that scroll. Now I ask you, what were the conditions? What were the requirements that this scroll had to be opened? Now we had some lessons about who is able to open up a sealed envelope, who is able to open up something that has been sealed. Now, and we, we know that only the authorized person could do it. So I suggest this. Could the holy angels of God open it? For some reason, they could not. They were not permitted. They were not authorized. And we'll put it this way. They just weren't worthy. Now, could the seraphims and the cherubims, those creatures more powerful than we, one could keep away the entire race of, Ma of Adam from the tree of life. Would not one of these creatures, not one of them, somewhere be worthy to do this? I, I, I suggest this. The only one who was worthy was the man, Christ Jesus. The man, Christ Jesus. Because we are undone unless a man 
can take the scroll from the hand of God himself. We are undone unless a man can do this because we stand before God with robes of righteousness that only men can wear. We cannot wear the righteousness of angels. Angels cannot die for us. They cannot give us what we need. No creature can give us what we need. There's only one who is worthy to take that scroll because that scroll within it contains the work of salvation for fallen man and all of creation. The entire creation fell. And only one can break that seal, all those seals. And only one is worthy to accomplish it. These things are not just for our reading pleasure. These seals are the decrees of God that tell us our Christ and Him alone. He created the world. Christ created the world. God through Christ. He is the incarnate Word of God and the Word of God. The worlds were framed by the Word of God. The God-man, Jesus Christ. The God-man who created heavens and earth. But because He is a man, because He is our brother, because He took on our flesh, He now has the righteousness that we can wear. It fits us. It doesn't fit the most powerful beings ever created. No. It fits us. Creatures who I would say, who are we? One, one cherubim can keep the entire race away from the tree of life. One. They can decimate the armies of the world. There are creatures far beyond our our understanding. But I know this. Christ died for us. And that makes him worthy. Let's look at the, into this vision next week as we continue where the angel declares, don't worry, John. Stop crying. We have a Savior who is worthy. And the great worthiness of our Christ is something that we need to worship God with. How wonderful is our lives when we have a worthy Savior who died for us and He did all these things for us. We would say, well, that's easy for God. He's God. He became a man for us. He suffered for us. Everything that we needed to do, He did. Mm -hmm. And now He is on His throne. Thank God, thank Christ. May we all have our hearts filled with gratitude. May we hear, just within our hearts and minds, from the visions that we have heard about, we have read about these visions, that there are creatures shouting and singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is filled with His glory. He has created all things for His pleasure. And His pleasure is so good. So good. It is God's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Hear His words. Are they not comforting? Are they not pleasing to us? Are they, do they not take the, the soul that is so filled with, with unrest? Does it not give you peace? Let's pray to the Lord and we'll be dismissed. Holy Father, we want to thank you for your great love that you have loved us with. 
Thank you for abounding toward us in this grace. What great power and greatness in your plan. What depth of understanding. All the things that were done. And you did them to save our souls. O oh Christ, we thank you that you have endeavored so greatly. The work is beyond our understanding. It is beyond our even words to express. And yet you have moved heavens and earth. You have moved mountains. You have moved kingdoms. You have moved universes. You have done everything. You have tracked the movements of every particle. You have known from the very end, uh, from the very beginning, the very end of every single movement. And you have done these things for us. You have done these things for the glory of your Father, which we can now enjoy. So we thank you, Lord, for your kindness, for your long-suffering, for your patience, and for the great work that you have done. And you are worthy, and we praise your name for it. And Father, we fall down before you, and we praise your name. And so every time we hear the works of God, every time we hear the name of our Christ, May our hearts fall before you in worship and adoration. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.